0: Turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to continue our series in Acts. We are in a hilarious story today. I, I think it's hilarious. I think it's so interesting. It's, it's, it's just, if it doesn't convince you that, that the Lord has a sense of humor, I don't know what story will, because uh, this is uh, kind of wild and crazy, what takes place with Peter, And uh, I want to talk with you today about two concepts that you can see on the board here And you'll those will be made evident by us working through this scripture But let's let's look and see what's going on now just to give you a very quick recap Remember that these this right here this scripture is the beginning of what's going on with God's church God's people and his intentions Seem to be at this point very clear for us that he is, he wants to continue with his covenant people that began in the Old Testament with Israel. He wants to continue with a group of people that are going to love him, that are going to be his representation to a world. Okay, and so we walk through Old Testament redemptive history where we see a people called out unto God that are living for the Lord. Okay, then we see in the New Testament what we would call the new covenant. Christ comes now and he comes to make all things new that now people can actually be in a dynamic relationship with the God of the universe because Christ has died. He has drank the cup of wrath that God had on humanity. And now He, Christ, because of His death, He becomes our righteousness. When Adam died, we were imputed or given sin, all of the human race. When Christ died, many theologians call Him the second Adam, we now are imputed with His righteousness. And by faith, we take on Christ's righteousness, and now we are children of God. So, all of that means something in light of where we're at in Acts. But these, these called out ones are coming together and yet we see that God, as He pulls them all together, these twelve that started, now the church has started, that started in Jerusalem, is starting to grow, it's starting to get kind of crazy, and guess what? There's a lot of problems going on. You would think it would be the opposite. In the world we live in, when you immediately think of God, you think, well, if you're, if you're a God soldier, there shouldn't be any problems. Right? Well, the, the biblical record is opposite than the, than the American record. the way that we think about God. The bi- biblical record is opposite. So we're interested in what the biblical record has to say. And the bi- biblical record here is, despite the fact that God's going to make his church happen and the gates of hell will not what prevail against it. there's still tremendous struggling, there's death, there's blood. It's violent. It's ugly. It probably wouldn't be the way you would do it if you were God or me either. But God in his sovereignness and in his overall plan has decided to do it this way. And right here we see Peter in prison. You'd think, what, what's going on with that? But Peter is, again, this is the second time Peter has been thrown into prison because everybody's having a problem with this Jesus thing. Everybody's having a problem with, your, wait a minute, you're preaching Jesus, the guy that we killed, and he resurrected from the dead? And that's what Peter is preaching. And Peter looked at everybody and he said, that's right, repent. For the kingdom of God is near, Jesus says. And Peter said the same thing, repent. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was a real person. He was God. Lot of opposition, lot of things going on here. Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. There we go, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John. James, by the way, an original 12, one of the original 12. Look, look, look here. We don't get a lot of time to understand what happened here, but he says he had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. So, James is beheaded for the cause of the gospel. Stephen's already died. There's others that are in, obviously, prison and being persecuted. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, Herod, this is referring to, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Well, Peter, you know, Peter was a big mouth for the gospel. He proceeded to seize Peter also, and this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Um, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial. There was no public trial. There was public execution. So Peter, at this point of his life, it's very important that you realize knew and so did others that he was going to die just like James had died Peter probably well obviously he knew that he was going to die so so look at at verse 5 so Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him thank God verse 6 the night before Herod was to bring him to trial Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Why so many soldiers? Why all the chains? Well, remember, Peter had already escaped from prison, not on his own accord. God had made it happen earlier in Acts. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. This is interesting. An angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Are any of you uh, deep sleepers? Who's a deep sleeper? Can sleep through trains going by the house. Who's light sleeper? Any sound? Any click? Shelly, my wife, any, any bug? Possibly in the furthest corner of the house... The other day, I'm walking through the house, I I get up in the morning, I don't want to disturb her, I'm trying to do the, have you ever tried to do the walk silent thing through the house? That deal where you just kind of, like that, and you have hardwood floor, and I'm trying to do that, and I'm trying to get out of there, and sure enough, she, you know, looks and I, all defeated, I'm sorry, you know, and she, you know, it's okay. I used to. We used to play tricks. Did you guys ever do the youth group tricks where you put shaving cream on people's face? You ever do that one? Do you guys know this? You're, so some of you are like, "Like, what is this?" It's where you you know you're on the youth group trip, and the whole thing you do in youth group is play pranks. That's all. That's all the guys want to do, right? And basically, so it's they can go talk with the girls. You know, but, you know, so what you do is when you're, when you're in, when you're sleeping and you're, and especially if you get a deep sleeper, you put shaving cream on his face when he's, when he's sleeping. And then you try to kind of like tickle him around his face and he takes his hand and he just tries to itch it and he just smears the shaving cream all over the place. Peter was sleeping deeply and a light shone in the cell and for some reason I'm not so sure that this was a flashlight or a little bic lighter. Usually when you see the lights the New Testament the biblical lights it's big and bright stuff. The Lord likes the big bright light. So the light shone in the cell it says look where it's in, and then look what it says. He the light shone in the cell Apparently, Peter didn't wake up. He struck Peter on the side. You ever had to do that with somebody? That's fun to do sometimes, especially if you want to scare people. I'm sorry, I'm being bad. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. And then look what the angel says. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you and follow me, and the angel told him, and Peter followed him out out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. So he thought he was dreaming. He thought he was seeing a vision, the Bible says there in verse 9. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Little Stephen King there for you. It opened for them by itself, and then they went through it, and when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him, and then Peter came to himself. He says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating, so he apparently he figured it out that it wasn't a dream. And some, and that's the worst thing, isn't it? About dreaming, is that a, you know you're in the dream. You go, is this a dream? Is this real? Is this a dream? Is this real, right? Peter comes out and he says, obviously this wasn't a dream. Verse 12. And when this had dawned on him, look what happens. Look what he decides to do. Look what he decides to do here. When this had all dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Well, that's where the church was praying in earnest for him. He wanted to go tell them. What? That he was, he wanted to tell him the story, that he was released. Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And the church who had decided to gather together in the room to pray, probably for Peter's release, says this, you are out of your mind. They told her when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking. I love that. I love that. I love that. Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, and he said, and then he left for another place. Peter kept knocking. Let me before I get get to this, let me make sure I give you something that I think is so important for all of you to hear and you're going to continue to hear it here, and I hope we continue to beat this drum forever. Knocking on the door of community. I'm gonna be with I want to be with my people I'm walking God's released me out of prison and I want to go be with the brothers and I want to tell them the story of what God's doing I love it And the question I probably would have for you in this this morning would be are you knocking on that door? young man young woman are you knocking on that door of community that you, you, you're going to knock on that and you want to get in and you want to you talk to your peeps about life? You want to be with them? It's a good door to knock on. Please, for those of you that are even considering it right now and you're wondering, I'm not in a community, I'm not involved, get in on it, knock on that door. You see it all the way throughout the New Testament. Peter didn't wander off after the miracle. Peter went to his community, and he told them the great story of what God had done. That's one of the beautiful things about community that we overlook many times. You know one of the reasons why God gives us community so we can tell our community about the great things God's doing. Is he doing great things? Is he doing things in your life? Are you telling people about what the Lord's doing, or is that a secret? Don't keep it a secret. Gather a group of people around that are going to love you in all the messiness of life and let them in on the stories that God's telling in your life. It's huge. It's crucial. Let's go back to deep sleep. Peter couldn't wake up. And this angel appears. We've walked through this. And the angel says, interesting, quick and get up and put your clothes on. And this this picture, as I kept reading this this week, this is like the picture. If you've if if you've uh, you remember, for those of you that are parents, this is an easy picture for you to get. Uh, One of the the crazy times in life was when you have kids that can't dress themselves in the morning. They they can and they want to, but they don't do too well with it. And uh, I was I'm I'm always amazed at little. I saw a a boy uh, a couple weeks ago at VBS. And obviously his mama has decided that he can wear, just put on whatever you're going to wear, you know, do it. And his, the match is unbelievable. He looks like a Mardi Gras character, you know what I'm saying? And and it's awesome. I mean, dad, mom's mom says great, you know, whatever. But I look down, and this is the first thing I do with a lot of these kids that are in this two to three, four-ish range. I look down at their shoes because almost 50% of the time they put them on backwards. And so the both the those look like that. And he had cowboy boots on, and sure enough, you know. And the and the and the concept, the concept that's going on here is somewhat humorous because I find it funny that the angel actually had to look at Peter and say, "Okay, get get your stuff on. It's that kind of thing, son. Okay, get get. Okay, good. Now put your coat on. All right." Because Peter was in such deep sleep, Peter had been so whatever it was in this dreary like state that he didn't get it. It's really a beautiful picture of us and the Lord and how the Lord works in our lives. It's really it's 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 very intimate, and I I, I really love the picture here. But the question is, how could Peter be in such a deep sleep? Think about it. How could Peter be in such a deep sleep? What was going to happen to him? Huh? Yeah. He was going to die. Yeah. It's good. It's good, cat. He had comfort in the fact that the Lord was going to do what he needed to do, what the Lord was going to do. Now compare deep sleep with you worrying if you're going to get the job. What do you do? What do we do? Hmm? Toss and turn. turn. (laughs) That's right. We toss and turn, right? A lot of us get, or let's say it's not the job. Let's say it's whatever the case may be. Many of us are puking up because of fear and issues and the tightness going on inside of our bodies, right? But Peter, Peter's sleeping. This is an unbelievable thing if you think about it. Because it says something pretty massive about Peter. Wild-eyed Peter, sleeping between two soldiers, bound by two chains, guards standing at the entrance to his prison cell, knowing I'm almost positive that he was going to be executed just like James. James. God does a miracle. He opens up. He is. What about this? He opens up these gates. He. This is like this unbelievable movie. He opens up gates. The chains fall off. The guards. What are they doing? Uh, well, apparently they, slip, he, they, they He slips out. God. God opens up all these gates. It's like this miracle. Then he gets to the house of the of the disciples and the gates locked. Why did God open gates in the prison and not at the house? Doesn't that sound like our life? Doesn't that sound funny? Doesn't, doesn't, isn't that what we want to figure out? And isn't that the most frustrating thing for us? God, why would you open up certain gates and not the gates for me to tell my friends what you've done? I heard a great statement this last week. In fact, Dave and I were talking about this, and I want to give it to you. It's this. If Christ is anything, He must be everything. God, at this point in Peter's history, which he had had much, had come to the place where he said, God, this is your story. This is your deal. What you're doing is what this is all about. Because no matter what happens with me, even if it's jail or whatever the case may be, you're writing the story, you're the author, you're the sovereign king, you are everything. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is is Christ anything to you, or is He everything to you? What would the two differences be for you? Think about it. If Christ is anything, He must be everything. Listen to this. This is a book... Uh, by michael horton called christless christianity and he talks about this a little bit as it relates to how we think about christ and god and how big and how much uh how much this this concept of just how we identify christ and god in our lives in such a minimalistic way versus what what the scriptures say about him it says this christ christ is a source of empowerment But is he widely regarded among us today as the source of redemption for the powerless? He helps the morally sensitive to become better, but does he save the ungodly, including Christians? He heals broken lives, but does he raise those who are dead in trespasses and sins? Does Christ come merely... Follow this now. Does Christ come merely to improve our existence in Adam or to end it? Sweeping us into his new creation. Is Christianity all about spiritual and moral makeovers or about death and resurrection? Radical judgment and radical grace. Is the Word of God a resource for what we have already decided we want and need? Or is it God's living and active criticism of our religion, morality, and pious experience? In other words, is the Bible, Bible God's story centering on Christ's redeeming work that rewrites our stories? Or is it something we use to make our stories a little more exciting and interesting? Isn't that good? And then lastly he says this. Jesus has been dressed up as a corporate CEO, life coach, culture warrior, political revolutionary, philosopher, co-pilot, co-sufferer, moral example, and partner in fulfilling our personal and social dreams. But in all of these ways, we are reducing the central character in the drama of redemption to a prop for our own play. Are we? Peter had played with the prop for a long time that Jesus was kind of a good thing. Peter had to deny Christ three times. And Christ had to come back and ask three times, Do you love me? And when John 21, when Christ comes to Peter and he looks at Peter and he says, "Do you love me?" What he's saying is this, I don't want to be anything anymore. I want to be everything. I want to take over everything. And that may mean that you're going to die, in fact, he says that. To all of his disciples, you you're going to die. You're going to, in Mark, he says, guess what? If you decide to follow me, remember when John and Mark came to him in Mark 10? They said, oh, we want special recognition in the kingdom. What does he say? He says, you know what? Do you have any idea what you're asking? He says, what you're going to get is you're going to suffer. You see? It's everything. It's hard for us to think about this. Because everything, in this instance, for Peter, obviously meant everything includes my life. You mean my very life that I could lose? That I would actually be in a prison cell, be sleeping between two soldiers, and my life would mean I'm going to lose my life for you tomorrow. I'm going to lose, I'm going to, it's going to be gone. And the, and the Lord would say, yes. And it would even go so far as to say, that's just as sweet or sweeter as holding on to your life. Do you get it? See the song we sang this morning is, is 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 a great song for this this scripture because you are God alone from before time began. You're on the throne, but I want to be on it. Do you? The Westminster Confession. Let me let me let me read this to you because I think it's beautiful. It talks about the beautiful transcendence and sovereignty of our Lord, and it says this. He alone is the fountain of all being, of, uh, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. He has absolute sovereignty over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatever he pleases. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent of his creatures, so that nothing to him is contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands to Him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatever worship, service, or obedience He is pleased to require of them. That's how big of a God we have. So, uh, in one sense, I could twist the word and I could actually say to us today, maybe it's okay for us to sleep more deeply in the prisons that we're in. Many of you are struggling right now in trying to understand and figure out how I'm going to get out of this thing. And many of it, much of it, is very legitimate and hurts very deeply. Peter's not running around the cell, puking up all over everybody and trying to figure out a way of escape as much as he's saying, Lord, you're in control. I I open up my hands, I open up my life, I open up my body. You can even plunge a spear into my heart. You are God. It's kind of a weird thing to say, though, isn't it? Because when we think of prisons, the the first thing we want to think about is escape. Many of you are in a place right now where maybe that's what God has for you. Maybe that's what He wants, because maybe He wants to say some things to you there. Sleep. Sleep. Sleep in your Father's arms. The Bible calls you a son and a daughter. You ever seen a little baby sleep in his mother's arms? We have a lot of them now around here. It's really fun to watch. It's probably more of a beautiful biblical picture than you've ever thought because those babies are content. And what they don't know is really good. And what we don't know is really good. And God likes the fact that we don't know. But you don't or I don't. And that's what drives us crazy and insane. Right? Deep sleep. Look at, look at here. Go back in 12. Verse 5. I love this. So Peter kept, was was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Have you ever heard anybody say, "Well, you you, you know you can't you you, sh- you shouldn't repeat yourself in prayer"? I'm not. I, I, I've heard that, but I'm, I'm not so sure that's our problem. I, I I think our problem is that you know I don't even pray enough. <laughs> not that we're not we're not that we're too earnest in prayer, you know. You know, I, I, I challenged you about this a couple of weeks ago. When, when, when typically the way we relate to each other, if it's on a Friday night and having a few drinks with each other, if we're just hanging out together and somebody shares a story, typically the way we don't relate to each other is want to stop, stop the beers and have have more prayer. I mean, that would be really bad, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be bad? Could you? Oh my gosh, could you? Could you pray and have beer at the same time? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> that—that that's the clash of the sacred and the secular. You know, I mean, uh, you know. Well, what if it's all good? What if it's all spiritual? What if it's all sacred? How about that? Are you? I guess the I guess the challenge is for those of you that are already upset with me over, you know, that illustration would be. Um, do we are we praying with each other? You know, young young couple that that you're gonna you're thinking about. We have many young couples here who are gonna get married. Are you, are you praying? Are you praying in earnest prayer for for your lives, for your relationship? Are you praying? I, I gotta confess to you, I don't I don't pray with my wife enough. Maybe, and I was trying to think about this this last week, maybe I don't pray with her because I'm just, I I don't know if it's embarrassment or it's it's uncomfortable, or maybe it's just because I want her to know that I'm in control and not God. Hmm. Hmm. Hmm, now we start to peel back the onion a little. And that hurts. But the disciples here were in earnest prayer. Well, if they were in earnest prayer, I told you this a, a little while ago, if they were in earnest prayer, and part of their prayer was probably the release of Peter, Then why, when Peter got out of jail and he went to knock on the door, were they shocked that Peter had arrived? Come on, help me. I mean, they were in earnest prayer. Why were they surprised? You don't think they really believed? Um, I mean, you're probably right. I mean, they, 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 he said that. Um, I mean, they were probably going. Well, James just got his head chopped off. And so, what? What is? What? What? What's our prayer going to do? They had these, and you and I have these. Like we have like even if I were to tell you we have these, we all carry all around backpacks full of these. Like they're they're loaded with bricks. We we're really heavy with these. That's called diminished expectations of God. Where do they come from? Help me. Where do those come from? Past huh? Past experiences. You, yes? What's that? Sure? Okay. The world, Satan. But isn't it true too, if we were to really boil it down, where a lot of them come from is that God hasn't come through for us. Huh? In the way we think He has, exactly. And so think about what we're doing. God hasn't come through for us in the way we think. So then look at how it's being reversed at that point. So God, I'm making you perform for me. I'm becoming God now. Do you follow what I'm saying there? You, you have to have, I have, if I'm asking you for a husband because I've been single for way too long, (laughs) come through with a husband. Right? Or fill in your situation. Right? Diminished expectation. Let me give you a few things on prayer that I want to talk with you about real quick that I want to make sure that you get. There are many reasons why we should be praying. The first thing that I want to talk to you about is something you've heard me say, but I want to hit on the second one a little bit more. The first thing I want to talk to you about as you think about earnest prayer because we do need to be praying. I I know I'm convicted about this. Is dependence. In prayer, I'm always claiming that I'm not my own. I'm not leading. I'm not king. I'm not controller of my life. In prayer, I'm depending on on You, Lord, because I'm at the end of my resources. I'm needy. I'm wanting. I'm receiving. I'm a receiver. Do you get it? Do you get that? That's why we're praying. We're depending. It's a posture of humility. That's, That's the verse. If my people will humble themselves and pray... I'm depending now. I know you know this. But the second thing I want to challenge you with is prayer really helps with our discernment. And I, I, I wanted to say this to you today because many of you, many of you, um, uh, I want you to know, and I think this is beautiful that we we have conversations, and I, I sit down and talk with you about your life, and, and 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 many of you 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 want we all want discernment for so much. We're trying to to kind of un, to make the map look clear. Well, spiritual discernment does become a way of life for us as we think about prayer. And let me tell you how you we receive discernment. We receive it through this living life in constant presence before the Lord, in earnest prayer, bringing oneself to God as honest and completely open as possible, seeking God's guidance as open as possible, and then responding as fully as possible. That's what did, that's what's going on here. Is you're seeking the Lord for answers, for guidance, and guess what? You're content in that. If He doesn't give you the answer, Lord, whatever you're doing, you're doing. Are you asking the Lord for discernment? It probably should be one of the first things we need to be doing. It's hard, though. Because in this, I want Jesus to come through in the way that I want Him to come through. We say that, God, you need to intervene and you need to take care of my addiction to whatever your addiction is. But He won't do it. He doesn't seem to give me the strength on Friday night at 1.30 in the morning after I've gone out and done whatever it is you've done. And then we come to the place like this and we say, Well, God, do you really care about me and do you care about my issues and do you care about my life? One of the things that we've got to believe as we think about prayer is I want you to think about the idea that there actually is a, a supernatural answer to your natural questions. There really is. And the reason why I don't want to discern and I don't want to be dependent is because I, 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 that's not an answer that I have in front of me that I can manipulate and work with like Clay. Kelsey's not here. She's my second daughter, and God has done a miracle in her life since we moved here to Nashville. She would she tells this story, so I'm not saying anything that she doesn't know. I was telling Shelly yesterday, we were coming back from dinner at night, and I looked at her and I said, you know, the one thing that I want to really tell all these young couples as they raise children, as they're married, is, whatever you've heard, to think that you can possibly control and in some way raise obedient children that are going to be these perfect little Christian soldiers. Throw it all out the window. Because when I let my daughter go for the first time when she was 13, whatever, 14 years old, out with her friends, I began to realize that she's going to do what she's going to do, isn't she? And I could have have done the thing where I got in the car and followed her around. Was I going to do that her whole life? Right? She began to make some pretty bad decisions, she'd tell you this. And I I thought for a while there, well, all I have to do is intervene. That's called human intervention. There's a show like that on television. But I want you to know something where my sin was. I wasn't thinking about godly intervention. I was thinking about Joel intervention. I was thinking that I'm a pretty, I know the Bible. I'm a strong man. I'm a loud mouth. I can, I'm gonna, I'm gonna convict my daughter to make right decisions. Oh yeah, that worked. It took all of about five minutes. To realize, guys, listen to this now, that my life is utterly, in, when I try to control it, is utterly not controllable. You can't do it. So I get this idea. And the idea was I want to get her out of her environment and send her away to a camp that I used to do some speaking at, some work at, so that she can begin to realize there's a lot of other people out there who live very differently than the way she's living right now. And so I'm going, I'm talking with my wife about it, and my wife, I can remember it so so clearly. She really tells me, she goes, well, maybe, you know, just, just be, be gentle. And I heard that, and I went, you know, I need to be praying about how I'm even going to do this because I'm I I even realized I can't even go in the way I ask and get her to say yes I'm going to go do this which I thought it was going to it was you know so important and as I began to pray here's the point as I began to pray I couldn't believe the different words that God was giving me for Kelsey and I was mad at all the words all the words he was giving me weren't the words of you're gonna get it together. Doggone it, I've got an image here. Follow? That's really ugly and oh, ugly motivation, but all these words were oh no. You just you just kind of cruise into this heart and you be filled with grace and mercy. And you be a father that I am to you. And start exploring that, and then you'll figure out how to talk to Kelsey. Well, this is one that worked. Because all I did was say, I just got an idea, and I just want you to think about this, baby. And, and, you know, I've been praying about this. And she looks at me and goes, Dad, I want to do that. Yeah. And that was the beginning of God absolutely taking her down her Damascus road and getting a hold of her life. You see? But it was Beautiful. So I'm just like the disciples. I was just in my room, and I didn't expect the answer either. I'm just like them, and so are we. But it's good that we pray. It's good that we're earnest in our prayers for our brothers and sisters, our own lives. So think about that today. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, I I keep thinking how much like uh, Peter uh, I am. (laughs) <laughs> and yet, I'm not at all like him in this jail cell. And to have a kind of relationship with you that would go that deep, that would be so trusting of your goodness, I, 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 man, I, I just feel so far from that. Lord, I, I, I've, I've got to confess my my sin, and I know that many of my friends, even this morning, we, we're not deep sleepers in your grace. <laughs> we, we we don't we don't believe you're that good. We've been hurt. We're angry at you. And Lord, I just I just thank you so much for your mercy and kindness to us. I pray that you would you would just just continue to do a work of humility in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who, who knock at the gate, who consistently come to you in earnest prayer, seek your face. I pray that we would not be a people that would depend upon our own resources in our life. What a good message for us to hear this morning, especially for me. We thank you in your name. Amen.